welcome to the UNT BSM audio resources. If you want more information on the BSM, you can go to untbsm.com. Thanks for listening. So last week, Jay taught, and he taught about the difference between darkness and light. What I want to do is, like I said, just a quick review, because it really kind of sets us up for what we're going to talk about today. So what we want to make sure everybody understands is what does it mean when we talk about darkness and light? So when we see the word light in the Old Testament, light literally symbolizes both knowledge and purity. And so what that means is that God is absolutely holy, God is absolutely righteous, and he is absolutely pure. And so what it says to walk in the light means to reflect God's perfection. So I want to put a quick picture up on the screen. And so here you see a lady. She's looking into a mirror. And as you can tell, that mirror displays her, right? It's a reflection. And so what, we, what we're seeing here is literally the purpose of a mirror. And what it is, it's to be an accurate representation of the person before it. And so when we are talking about what does it look like for us to reflect God, I want you to just to kind of put that in your mind. It's like, okay, what, is it when, what do we see when we look at a mirror? Does that make sense? We're going to come back to this in just a minute. And so what it means for a Christian to walk in light, it means that they are pursuing God's righteousness and holiness. And some of the ways that we do that, that we talked about last week, would have been through confession as well as living our lives in community. And we're going to come back to that in just a second. So when we hear the word darkness, what we want to think about and what we want to remember is this. The darkness is that God cannot look with favor on any form of sin. And here's the thing, nothing is hidden from God, right? He knows everything. And so when we're not walking with the Lord, when we have hidden sin, that's kind of this image of darkness. But God already knows what's going on. And so for us to walk day by day in fellowship with God and along in our community with other believers, it's important for us to recognize Am I confessing my sin? What does it look like for me to walk with God? Am I being a true reflection of God? And so tonight, here's what we're going to be doing. The theme question for today, or the statement is, we, that you may know, tonight, that you may know obedience, true life, and love. So there's three main sections in this text. The first one is Christ, our advocate. The second one is called the new commandment. And the third is do not love the world. We're going to be spending the majority of our time in the first and the third. I'm going to do a quick highlight of the middle section, but for the sake of time, we just can't really dive in there very much tonight. So I want to read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, and then we're just going to walk our way through that. So let's read this together. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, who is Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way 
that he walked. And so what we're seeing right here is he's pointing back to what does it look like to live in light. So how can we move from darkness to light? And it's saying the reason that we can is because that Jesus Christ is our advocate. A couple weeks ago, I used the term mediator to kind of describe Jesus' role. And a mediator within a legal process is someone who equally represents both sides. And so what it's saying is Jesus can be our advocate, our mediator, because he is both fully man and fully God. And it says because of what he did, because he is the propitiation, that's a really big theological word, that literally means this, a sacrifice that bears God's wrath and turns it to favor. So Jesus is our propitiation. He is our sacrifice that bore God's wrath so that we can receive God's favor. So that's what it means for Jesus to be our mediator and to be our advocate. Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, this perfect propitiation for us, he took God's wrath so that we could be restored into a relationship with God, so that we could move from darkness into light. And so let's continue on. In verse 3, he says, I write this so that you will know, which is why we're titling this, That You May Know. He says this multiple times throughout this letter to the church. And so he's saying, I want to help you understand. If you remember that first week, I said, First John answers two key questions Who is Jesus? And who is a Christian? So he's already been saying, like, listen, here is Jesus. He's the way from, from darkness to light. He is the sacrifice for all of us. And it's literally saying, okay, I'm about to give you some examples for self-diagnosis. For you to say, okay, what does it look like to be a Christian? So first off, does someone who says they're a Christian, do they have a changed life? Is there a noticeable difference that you've been moved from darkness to light. When we have a true encounter with Jesus, there's a change that happens. We see this all throughout scripture. There's a, there's a distinct change. Also, he says, do you keep God's commandments? And so how do we keep the commandments? How do we, how do we live our lives according so that we can be a reflection, remember the mirror, a reflection of God? We do that by being in his word, by reading the Bible. It's how we get to learn not only those Ten Commandments that you see in the Old Testament, but also you get to learn more about God and his character. We get to learn more about us and why it is that we need Jesus and how God has moved. The entire Bible is all telling one story, and that is the redemptive hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so he's saying a Christian, someone who's a follower of Jesus, keeps the, God's commandments. And here's what I want you to understand. Can we keep those commandments perfectly? No. No. But that's where grace comes in. Obedience to God does not earn us our forgiveness. What we need to remember is obedience is a pattern of life that gives evidence that one is truly a follower of God. Let me tell you a little bit about me. So I always make the joke that I've been in church since nine months before I was born. I do not remember a day when I didn't know the name of Jesus. And so in that, I grew up hearing all about the Bible. I could tell you story upon story. But no one had ever sat me down to say, Stephanie, will you talk to me about how are you struggling? 
What's the sin in your life? What things are you hoping are going to save you? What are you looking to for security? Where are you placing your hope and running to for satisfaction? I didn't have those conversations until I got to college. And God placed my roommate in my life and a group of friends in a really great church. And through that, I started to have a better understanding of what is it that's in my life? Like, why is it that I say I need Jesus? How is he moving and working? I'd been a follower of Jesus, but I just hadn't been discipled well. And so, what I had to start to learn was because of that, I literally thought I had to be perfect. Right? I call myself a recovering perfectionist. I struggle, and to this day, this is a struggle for me. If I mess up, I'm afraid to let people see my mess because I struggle to believe that you'll love me if I'm not perfect. That's just a struggle that I have. And so for me, I was trying to literally manipulate my life in such a way that I would appear perfect. I felt like I had to fix myself, clean myself up enough before I could actually really engage in a relationship with Jesus. But once again, we go back to that big theological word, propitiation. I don't have to. I have this picture hanging up above my bed in my bedroom. It's a painting. It's very, very simple. It's white background, black cursive letters. It says the word grace. Because I need to see that every day so that I can remember, Stephanie, it's not up to you. Jesus already did it. Because of God's grace, I get to move from darkness to light. That is what we're talking about. And so here's the thing. Let's connect this dot. My obedience is not to earn God's favor. My obedience is out of gratitude for the favor I have received. Because God loves me, I'm becoming more transformed into the likeness of God. And so my reflecting of Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, hopefully the reflection as I age and as I live my life, is going to become a clearer representation of Jesus. And my obedience is a product of my appreciation and my love for God. It is in that personal relationship with God where we get to see life change and heart change and behavior change. In verse 6, it talks about whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So I want us to look at John 15. We're going to put it up on the screen so you don't need to flip to it. And I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Version. We use ESV typically here, but I really like the way this text has been written out in the Amplified Version. And it says this, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Just as no branch can bear fruit by itself without remaining in the vine, neither can you bear fruit or produce evidence of your faith unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For otherwise, apart from me, that is cut off, that means you're cut off from the vital union with God, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown out like a broken off branch and withers and dies. And they gather such branches and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, that is, if we are vitally united and my message lives in your heart, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified and honored by this. When you bear much fruit and prove yourselves to be my true disciples, I have loved you just as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love 
and do not doubt my love for you. So how do we walk like Jesus walked? He's by abiding in Christ. It's remaining, and he, that says, in vital union. That means that I'm actively working to be in a relationship with God. So I'm super busy right now, right, between BSM and it's basketball season, so I'm doing all kinds of stuff with the basketball team, and I'm in school. <laughs> so I don't have much free time. And my roommate is my best friend. So she moved into my house about four or five years ago, and she knew me really well before she moved into my house, but then when she moved in, she got to know me really well, right? When you live with someone, it's kind of hard to hide all your mess, liter the literal mess too. And yesterday we were talking. I was in the middle of doing a book review, writing an eight-page paper, and she was getting all these other things done, and she literally was like, hey, we haven't actually talked in like a week. I was like, you know what, you're right. So we made an appointment tomorrow. We're going to have dinner just so we have an opportunity to spend some time together so we can check in. We can hear what's going on. How are you doing? How can I pray for you? How are you struggling? What's hard? That's what it means to invest, right? So just as we do that with the relationships that are in our lives, how are we doing the same thing within our relationship with the Lord? This term, abide to remain in, to have a vital union with God. And so one of the things that I have learned is I make appointments with God. That's just how I function. If it's on my calendar, I'm going to do it, right? And so literally, I put that in, and I think through what are the things that stir my affections for the Lord? What are the things that are pointing me to him? What are the things that help me to abide? And I want to build those into my life. Because that helps me remain connected to the Lord. So I want you to think about those things. What are those things in your life that help you to abide and remain connected? Because it's when we abide that we get to be a good reflection, a better reflection, right? So to be a reflection of Christ means that we mirror his faith, his love, his obedience, and his self-sacrifice. I want to put this mirror picture back up. You see, this is the ideal picture, right? But none of us get to mirror him that well. I wish we could. Remember, I said I'm a recovering perfectionist. That's what I want. But in all reality, it kind of looks more like this, right? A funhouse mirror. Where we're kind of distorted, but it's still a similar reflection. And you see, friends, in these moments when my life is reflecting like that and not like the first picture, it's in those moments that I then get to go and confess before the Lord. I'm sorry, and to be reminded of his goodness and his grace and to remember that he, even in the mess, when I'm a distorted picture of Jesus, he still looks on me with favor because of what Jesus has done. And you see, in those moments, not only am I confessing to the Lord, but I get to confess to the people around me. So, like I said, I work with our women's basketball team. And there are a lot of people on that team that are not Christians and you better believe that when I'm in their presence, I am extra aware of the things that I do, the things that I say, and the way that I'm interacting. And in moments when I am not reflecting God well, it gives me an opportunity to enter in and to apologize, to check in. And in those moments, in my humility and going and saying, listen, I'm really sorry. I did not love you the way that I should. I said I was going to check in on you, and I didn't. I am so sorry. I'm getting to be a reflection of humility and God in God in those moments. 
And so what we want to do is think about how are we reflecting God? How are we abiding in our relationship with the Lord? And also, what does it look like? How are we reflecting God to our community? Does that make sense? Well, let me say this one more time. We cannot earn God's favor. We get it freely given to us because of God. Our obedience is not to earn love. Our obedience is in response to love. Right? That's what it's about. So in this middle section, the, we don't have a whole lot of time to dive into it, but what I want to do is just give you the, the highlights. Does that sound good? So what we see in verses 7 through 14 is it's talking about those who say that they're in the light, those that are a Christian, basically will love others and not cause others to sin. Why will they do that? They do that because their sins have been forgiven. Because they have been forgiven, they want to display that to other people. So how do they, how do they get to do that? They get to do it through Jesus Christ, who is God, who has overcome sin. And because of Jesus, they get to have a relationship with God that then they get to display to everybody else. Okay? That's, those are the highlights, condensed version. Okay? Let's move on to the next section. Let's read verses 15 through 17. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the all is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So he's saying, do not love the world. Here's what it is. He's not told, telling us to reject the world or reject the people because Jesus loved the world. He came, as I said, he came for all people. Rather, what he's warning to is he's warning against devotion to a world system that is opposed to God. He's warning, he's saying, don't look to the world to satisfy you. Don't look to the world to help you determine what is right. Don't look to the world for hope. And so what are those things that we think are going to provide security? What are those things that we think are going to provide hope? What are those things that we think, if I gained this, then everything will be okay? He's saying, don't look to the world that way. It can't answer those questions. And so some of the things that I think um, we all run to would be relationships. We want to be liked. We base our self-worth based on how someone else sees us. Maybe it's money, success, a certain degree. Many of you are here to get a degree so that you can then go and do something else, be successful, attain a certain goal. None of those things are bad. Relationships are not bad. Success, money, Degrees. I mean, I'm working on my third one, a PhD. None of that is bad. But what is bad is when we have distorted what those things are and we're placing our ultimate hope and security in those things. I wrote right here, human desires are not part of God's creation. I'm sorry, human desires are part of God's creation and are not inherently evil. But they can become twisted when they're not directed by and towards God. So we want to always keep in check how am I viewing the things of the world? Where am I looking for satisfaction? What do I think is going to give me hope? He literally says, don't love the things of the world. They're going to destroy you. Those things will perish. They're passing away. They're temporary. He said, don't look for hope there. He keeps referencing that Jesus has been from the beginning. That is our hope. The thing that has been before creation, the thing that will never go away, that is where our hope is. We sang that song 
right before I came up, that Jesus is better. That's what this song is talking about. In the middle of our greatest moment, Jesus is better. In the middle of our deepest sorrow, Jesus is better. And all of the things that are catching my attention and are distracting me, God is coming back and saying, no, abide in me. Remain in union with me. Let's keep those things. Continue to pursue those things, but they are not ultimate. I am. That is where true satisfaction and hope lies. So what does this mean for us? In four minutes, I'm going to wrap us up. I think we need to ask some questions. So how do we pursue light? How do we reflect God's righteousness? And how do we intentionally reject twisted world systems? Like he says, don't love the world. How are we intentionally making sure that our affections to the world are in check? And I think one of the key things come down to two, well, it comes to two things. One is confession, and the other is community. When a Christian walks in light, their life will be known. And what that means is literally we're known through confession and community. Confession is defined this, as this. By practicing the spiritual discipline of constant confession, we are making a statement in which we say that we have done something wrong. God already knows what we've done wrong, but what he's wanting to say is like, we come, let's restore this relationship. Be reminded of me. Be reminded of my grace in this moment when you come and we get to confess to God. But he's, he says, don't only confess to God, but also in James 5, 16, he tells us to c- confess to one another. Our Christian lives are not meant to be isolated individual pursuits. They're meant to be lived out amongst other people that can not only point us to the Lord, but they know us. They're living life with us. And when we live within a unified body of other Christians and we're pursuing righteousness together, the power of hidden sin begins to weaken when it is confessed and confronted in community. When we're open and honest and vulnerable with those in our lives that love us and want to point us back to Jesus, I can't explain it other than to say that the power of sin in that moment when I have just confessed it to those that are in my life, begins to loosen. And so he's saying, listen, walk in the light. You need to confess. You want to bring out, step away from darkness and step back into light. And some of the ways that we can do that is by confessing to God and confessing within community. So I told you that our statement for today is that you may know obedience, life, and love. And let's put up here, this is what it means. My obedience is in response to the grace I've received through Jesus Christ. How I live my life and the things that I love are reflections of my priorities to the world. Am I reflecting God's righteousness and love? Or am I reflecting something else? So every week we answer two questions. What does this text say about God and what does it say about us as people? So let's look. This is just a small list. Your connect group leaders have the full list. There's just too much for me to put on a slide. Uh, So you can talk about it in even more depth when you get into your groups. So here are some of the things that it says about God. That Jesus' life is our pattern and our guide. We want to be in Scripture. We want to learn more about who Jesus is so that we can be a better reflection. Jesus is the true light. Also, the things of the world the desires of our flesh and the list that is there, those are not from God. He's saying, listen, these things are not from me. They're not going to ultimately satisfy you. Abide in Christ. 
Keep those things in check. And remember that because of Jesus' love, out of our obedience to him, we then get to pursue and to be a reflection of Jesus' life. Okay, what does it say about us as people? First off, he writes, that you may know. We get to see that there's an assurance of salvation, that it is possible. He's saying, listen, we know this is true because of what Jesus did. Also, it says that we can know God. And for us, when we hear that we can know him, that means that there's a break in the relationship that uh, needed to be restored. And so it says right there, a personal relationship with God that transforms practical behavior. Also, a love for fellow believers is an important mark of, of true Christians. How are we loving other people? And often, we often look to the things of the world to satisfy us and to bring hope. We need to remember that our only hope is found in Jesus. I'm going to pray, and then you'll be dismissed to go to your groups. Father, I pray that you would help us to remember that our only hope is found in Jesus. That in the midst of all of the things that are around me, the things that you have placed before me, even the things that you have called me to, my job, ministry, school, family, my relationships, that those are just gifts from you that you have asked me to steward but not serve. To not look to those things to fulfill me or to satisfy me or to give me hope. Only you can do that. And I pray, God, that we would think through how do we best abide in you. What are the things that we need to confess, that we need to bring into the light? God, we want to be better reflections of you. I pray that your spirit would move and speak and reveal to us the areas that are not reflecting you well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.